So there's a lot going on here, and there's a lot talking about household rules, right? We're going we're gonna to go through it line by line like we always do, but first we want to have a little bit of discussion. Um, and if you, you, I know you guys love to answer your questions. I like that when you do that, uh, but try to take time to do that in just a second. Um, so this passage from 22 on the way through what Andrew is talking about household rules and how we live as Christians in different relationships. And so one of the main concerns that people, when they read this, is how Paul treats people who have, who have traditionally been subject to oppression. Women, children, slaves, right? He deals with all three, okay? So this passage is a great opportunity to acknowledge two things. One, that people have used the Bible in poor ways to justify doing bad, sinful things, right? And then on the other hand, it also teaches us the importance of reading in context, right? Always understand the context of what's been taught. Don't just point out a verse or you don't want to, Gavin, you don't want to just go in life, open up and point at a verse and say that that's going to justify what I'm doing. You want to remember what the author had to say to the people at that time. Does that make sense? So a big idea here that is difficult for a lot of people today is to see and understand is the passage that Emma read, where it said, wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He, Christ, is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. That's difficult to understand, right? For some of you, you're probably like, I ain't going to submit to no man. And I understand that. I don't know that you'll say it like that, Elizabeth. But uh, So I decided to bring a wonderful godly woman to teach that to you probably better than I could. Yeah. Because I have an attitude. I mean, because April is just like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True story, but. Because, right, I ain't submitting to no man, especially Cole. But I am, though. I am, though, because the Bible tells me to. Um, in the modern day, being like a modern, like I work, right? I make money. I go outside the home. I do my own thing. I have good decision-making skills, so I discuss things with Cole. He, he, I'm not some weak, helpless, submissive woman that you would think about. But I do submit to Cole, as the Bible tells us to, and it's more than submitting to him and, and doing what he says all the time and him telling me, be here then and do this. It's submitting to him because... By submitting to him, I'm, obe I'm being obedient to God. I'm being obedient to what the Bible tells us to do. And it's not about inequality, right? I submit to my boss at work. I submit to Dr. Mike as the preacher of our local church. I submit to Cole as my husband. But that doesn't mean I'm less than any of those people. We're, we're equal in dignity and in God's eyes. It's more... Um, by submitting to Cole, I'm honoring God. And it's also in here, it, I, I, okay, so what's the verse where it says, um, take up your cross and follow me? Yeah, it's in one of the Gospels. I can't call it to my mind. Anyway. But Jesus, you know, if you want to follow me, you'll take your cross. Jesus I think calls, it's in Luke. Yeah, Jesus calls everyone to submit to him. And one way that I submit to him is by submitting to Cole. Um, 
But again, it doesn't mean I'm less than. It doesn't mean you ladies are less than when you submit to your husbands one day. It's just one of the roles that we play. And I might be skipping ahead, but I mean, it says down here, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I'm called to submit to Cole, but he's called to literally lay down his life like Christ did for us. I mean, that's a big deal. So it's the least I can do to do what the Lord tells me to and submit to Cole. Um, and this idea, what else? Aww. I love her. <laughs> so, so that you did a wonderful job. But to to highlight what she said better than I can say, and I'm not going to reiterate whatever what all that she said. But submission is not a, a framework for strength over weakness. It, it's and, and according to Paul, it's not a weakness at all. It's a reflection. And so she submits to me um, because a I'm honorable. Now I haven't always been honorable. And he goes on here later um, to talk about this, um, and, and, and this is not nothing in this, this part of household rules is about manipulation or um, coercion. It's about being honorable, being, being worthy of being submitting to. And so that's a huge toll on my life as well, because who is ultimately worthy? of being submitted to or submitting to Christ. And so that's my role model, obviously, but I have to have self-sacrificing love, self-sacrificing love. And, and at this time, you have to put yourself in this place at this time. If we were in this time, we probably wouldn't be all in the same building. Your hair wouldn't be showing. Your ankles wouldn't be showing. You know, it, you wouldn't, we wouldn't likely even be in the same room. Okay, you'd probably be in the back of the room. And so what Paul is saying is very countercultural. He's saying treat women with the utmost respect and the utmost dignity and the utmost, as the utmost treasure because Christ died for her and because he compares you to the church. And then he puts a larger weight on the, the male to then g- turn his life over for the sake of his wife and ultimately for the sake of the church. And so I knew that you would ex- Sorry, explain that better than I could, and I appreciate that. And it hasn't always been that way. I haven't, in the first few years, I was not a very good husband. Um, I had a lot of immaturities and I had a lot of growing up to do. But now um, I don't walk around the house saying, submit to me, submit to me. And when we have conversations, it's not one-sided. I don't say, well, we're going to do this. I maybe said that, I don't know. A certain number, handful of times, like one hand. Yeah, you did. And what happened? Just kidding. That didn't happen. <laughs> she doesn't hit. Holocaust. Yeah, she doesn't <laughs> let it. Let the record show she does not hit me. Um, but uh, you know, I don't. I don't walk around prowling over her because that's not what Christ would do for His church, is it? No, He laid His life down in humility. So if there's a serious theological issue, then yeah, I'll put my foot down. But thankfully, as a woman, she has her own relationship with the Lord. And she, even better than I do on most days, spends more time in her Bible and more time with God in prayer than I do. And so she encourages me. So submission and love and respect, it really is this two-way street. And so I hope all of you end up in healthy marriages, but to the women especially, to submit to your husband is, is not to sacrifice your own personality and your own strength and your own uh, a beautiful dignity that you have to offer. And if a man asks you to do that, then that's not right. That's not submission. That's, not that's manipulation. Yeah. And so thank you. I'll let you go to choir. I know I made you really late, and that's I'm okay. sorry. 
And if any of the ladies want to discuss further, you know how to find me. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Boys, this I next part's for you. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Thank you, April. Welcome. So what I want to do, and real briefly, is talk about, talk about slavery. Um, why would you think that Paul, in this, this passage, instead of uh, addressing slavery, that he, addressing slaves, he wouldn't just outright condemn slavery? Tough question, right? Well, it's like, I guess he's trying to, not appeal, I guess, but like reach the largest audience, I guess, kind of? Maybe. So he doesn't want to like upset. Maybe, maybe. I, I, who else? What else? Culture, I mean, it's, it, it is different than chattel slavery, which is what we have in the United States. Um, you know, if you go back to the Old Testament where it talks about slave processes, it talks about if you so much as knock a tooth out of the slave's mouth, he's free. So obviously that is not the experience that many people, sadly, many African Americans experienced in chattel slavery in the beginning of our country. Okay, so very different things. Um, but why wouldn't he just say right here, like, it's not good? Again, I think he's making a countercultural move. It, by addressing women first, again, that's huge. Like, in that time, it's huge. Now he's addressing slaves first, which is also incredibly huge. And again, he's doubling down on this idea that everyone that is born is created in the image of God and has the dignity of a full human life. And it cannot be... Um, it cannot be matched by anything else. God has given you that dignity. And he is saying, he's recognizing their value um, and that God is concerned for their good. And some people have argued that if you do this, if you behave like this, that slavery would become impossible eventually, which is thankfully what we arrived at. Um, and so it's just an, another interesting way in which Paul is saying everyone has immense dignity, even if they're in situations in which the culture might oppress them or look down upon them. Now, again, this, this culture is very different than ours, right? You know, all of you go to school. All of you in this room basically have, for lack of better words, the same opportunity, you know, whether you're, you're a woman or you're a man. Not the case then, okay? And some, my friend that's a pastor at uh, Arlington Heights in Pascagoula, he just got back from Uganda. And so that culture is very still much like this. Women can't read. They can't, they don't, they're not allowed to sit at the front. Like if a family has children, they don't have enough money to send the children to school. So they send the man so that he can learn and read and write so that he can make money. The women don't get to go to school, right? Because the women can't, they, in their opinion, work with their hands and make money. So there are places in this world where this message is still very, very, very vital that God created man and female in his image equally. Okay, so let's talk about it. What contrast do you see in chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, Macy? I saw you write it down. Uh, he was kind of like talking about foolishness, and then he was saying foolish people will like drink wine and don't understand the Lord's will. Yeah, so he compares and contrasts. He says, if you know the Lord's will, you will not be foolish. And if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will not be drunk with wine. And so, if you remember, for all of us that went to Proverbs with a pastor, we talked a lot about being wise, what it means to be wise. And so, Paul starts out with saying, 
you need to understand the difference between joyful living and reckless living because that's going to encompass everything that follows. And so what are the three actions that he talks about? These are questions in your little booklet uh, that, a, that a spirit-filled person engages with. Yeah, and, and what's the motivation for all of that? It's in verse 21. The fear of Christ. Now, does anyone know what Proverbs tells us about the fear of God is the beginning of? Knowledge. Yeah, all knowledge, all wisdom. And so we do this because we love God. Now, who does Paul first address when talking about marriage? We already talked about this. You read it. Verse 22, first word. Wives. Well done, Emma. Why do you... Th- I, just, I just explained it to you, so explain it back to me. Why does he start this way? Because it was countercultural. Countercultural. And he's, he's, he's going to eventually say that because of the gospel, the gospel changes everything. The gospel even changes what culture has to say about people. So in 22 and 24, Paul tells wives to do what? Do, and what does he tell them to do? And what illustration does he make? April just spoke about it. Wives submit to their husband, but what does he compare that to? Christ and the church. Good job, Gavin. So he, he says, wives submit to your husband as Christ has submitted to the church. Now, how far did Christ go for the church? All the way. All the way. He went all the way. Now, on the other hand, what Brody read... What did Paul tell husbands to do, and what does he use as an illustration? Love their wives. He again uses Christ in the church, uh, and he, he says, in April he used it, he said, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, just as Christ loves the church, which is his body. Because what do we call ourselves? The body of Christ, right? And so, if I hate my body, how well am I going to treat it? Poorly. Or if I don't think it's worth anything, poorly. But I do. It's the only one I got. And as you get older, guys, you know, things, like even in your 30s, things change. And you're like, well, that's kind of scary. Like, I'm getting older. One day I'm going to die. And so I treat it well. I try to treat it as well as I can. And so I respect April by treating her as well as I can, as if, because what, are the, what is the, the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second one is what? Love the neighbor as yourself. Right. And so April is not my neighbor in a sense, but I need to love her as I love myself. I need to cherish her. And look, I pray you all get married because it is the best thing ever. Each year it gets better. It gets better and it gets better. Now, in verses 6, 2 through 3, which is what Andrew started to cover, why, why does Paul make this command, honor your father and mother, and what makes it unique? It says it in, the, in verse 2. The first commandment with a promise, and it follows there, so that it may go well with you and you may have a long life. And so that, those are Scripture references uh, from Exodus. And, and telling us, you know, from the Ten Commandments and, and further on some commentary on it um, from the book of Exodus saying, obey your father and your mother and you'll live a long life. Now, um, I mean, that's a pretty good promise, right? To, uh, to obey your father and your mother. 
Now, Paul instructs obedience to earthly masters. What motivation does he give here? So remember, he gave motivations to children, to wives and husbands. What does he give here? He says that whatever you do to a slave, the Lord will do to you. That's right. Whatever good we do, we'll receive it back. And like April was saying, that every way that she's obedient here on earth is actually a mirror of her obedience to God. So we serve unto the Lord and not man. Colossians 3.23 tells us we're supposed to do all that we're... This is a paraphrase. Everything that we do, we do it as if we're doing it for the Lord. And I routinely try to tell myself that work. Like when I'm mowing the grass, I'm like, I really don't want to do this. I really want to complain. I want to be bitter. It's like, all right, you know, first of all, I have my own home and I don't live in the street. So, Lord, I know that this mowing of the grass seems so insignificant compared to things, but may I do that for your glory? Your lawn's not even that big. Well, it's not. It's not. It's, it, I mean, also another thing to add to, I shouldn't complain about it, or like I do all the cooking in the house. I love to cook. I love it. But some nights when I get home after work and it's like 6.30 and I'm like, I don't really want to start this process. And so I try to. I don't always do this. I'll be transparent with you. I try to stop and pray. Like, God, thank you for food. Uh, again, I'm not hungry. You've given me money. I get to eat basically what I want to eat. Help me to do this for your glory. And so everything that we do, whether we're slaves or masters or children's or wives or husbands, we want to do that for the glory of God. So now that we know about this passage, what do we do with this text? I think that question number one under so what is the hinge of this whole message. Why do you think Paul would emphasize the need to be filled with the Spirit before addressing the roles in Christian relationships? I think the whole message that we're talking about tonight hinges on this answer. Because like you need to act in your relationship like you're doing it for Christ. And like everything you do in your relationship is needs to be for Christ and not for the yourself. Totally well done. Absolutely right. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? To do anything for God's glory. Um, if you're not a Christian, you cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit. But like I asked David, I said, David, what are the two reasons this book was written? He said, it's because they keep forgetting what they're supposed to do. They don't remember their new identity. So Paul is warning them, shaking them, kind of like kicking them around saying, hey, you need to wake up and you can't follow your own rules. You, Bubba Motes can't make his own rules and say, I'm a, I'm a motzit for the rest of my life. No, if he's going to submit to God, he has to follow God's rules. Same with Simon. Simon can't just wake up and decide like, all right, I'm going to do what Simon wants to do. No, because we need the power of the Spirit in us. If we are Spirit-filled, then our relationships will now look different everywhere we go. Husbands and wives, workers, children's parents, school, anywhere we go, baseball, sports, dance, if we're spirit-filled, everything will be different because He's our helper. And so that is, that's the hinge point of this whole thing. Reckless living versus joyful living. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. So you think that sports and dance no. are two separate things? Yes, they are. No, I don't. Yes. <laughs> because of sports, sports and dance. dance. Well, well I, all right. We're not getting into this. Let the... Let the... Let the yeah. <laughs> I said what I said. I know. But... Um, now, what do you think in 521 Paul means when he says, submit to one another? But what, why do we do that? What, we're, if you're Christ. 
my reverence for Christ. And my reverence for Christ, Simon, teaches me that everyone has equal dignity, equal human worth. Even if I don't agree with that person, even if I flat out say that person is wrong because the Bible tells me so, they're living in sin, that person still has dignity, which is why I disagree with a lot of the narrative on television and things like that. I don't disagree with, you know, you should, you should live and teach and believe what the Bible says verbatim. But people still have dignity even if they're lost in sin. Does that make sense? And if people make poor decision after poor decision after poor decision after poor decision and they end up on death row, they may deserve to be there, but they still have dignity. And so this idea that we do everything, we submit to one another because Christ ultimately laid it all down on the cross for our sins. And, and what, is Christ's, uh, what does the Bible say in, in, uh, in John 13? Does anyone remember? If you, if you pulled this out of the hat. That's John 3. But I mean, I, you answered with confidence, and for that you get at least half points. John 13 is where, is where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Culturally, do we know anything about that? That's Servants did that. Slaves did that. And so the fact that this, the Son of God, came down in, 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 as fully man, fully earth, and he's washing feet of his servants is, is unbelievable. It's the ultimate submission of humility. And so we're called to do the same thing. So when we submit to each other, it's simply placing ourselves always in a place of humility towards our brothers and sisters. I think that's beautiful. Now, question three, why do you think Paul would address wives before husbands? We'll cover this one briefly. Uh, and servants before masters. We've already talked about this a lot. Because it's counter cultural. cultural. And it's easily overlooked, right? At that time, it's especially easily overlooked. Like it would be very easy to overlook a woman during that period of time, be very easy to overlook a child during that period of time, be very easy to overlook someone who was lame or sick, had leprosy, very easy to overlook someone who was a slave. So Paul goes right at the culture and says, actually, here's how it's supposed to be done. So very good, very good. Now, in what way does understanding marriage as a picture of Christ and the church give significance and hope to marriage? Now, none of you are married yet, and I hope, you know, you wait a little bit longer at least. But uh, why, why do you, what, what way does this passage give us hope and significance for marriage? Yeah, yeah. Were you raising your hand? No. Okay. Kind of looked like it. I thought. Oh. Like equal. Okay. Yeah. That means equal. <laughs> oh. Okay. I'm on board, Simon. I'm sorry. So, so in these representations, in these comparisons and illustrations, what he's saying is he's saying A is actually like B, right? So, if we want to have marriage, if we want to have a marriage that has hope and significance, it's because of the representation of Christ and His bride, right? The second coming, Christ is coming back for His bride, right? And so they use this marriage, this idea that we care about the institution of biblical marriage because it's a beautiful proclamation of the gospel to the world, right? It shows you what Jesus does to imperfect people. He weds Himself to them forever, 
right? You cannot separate them. There, there is no divorce between you and Jesus if you call upon His name in repentance. Now, marriage on earth, it also gives us hope because marriage on earth, and April would be the first to tell you this, marriage on earth does not meet our every need, right? Just like if you're dating now, it doesn't meet your every need. And it will disappoint you at times. April disappoints me at times. I definitely disappoint her at times. But when Christ comes and takes His bride, in that marriage we'll find true fulfillment and peace. So do you see the comparison there? Um, it, it, it's, and it's also important to take this into consideration um, that some of you may not experience marriage in this life. So when we keep marriage in... I, I don't think... You know, the call to singleness is... Y'all pick, quit picking on him. The call, the, the call to singleness is, is, like, did Paul ever marry? No. No, he did not. He was single. He was called to be single. So that's, pretty, that's unique. It does happen. I think most of you will probably end up married in this room. But if you never do, you need to know that ultimately you're not missing out, right? That, that what awaits you as a faithful Christian is much better. Okay, so in a way to think about that, who here is a student of history? Who, who likes history? Who likes military history? Definitely me. The Second World War? Amazing, right? Now, my grandfather was a Merrill's Marauder, which is a predate to the Army Ranger, and he fought in Burma, and they would hand-cut supply roads with machetes because the, the, um, the Japanese would block the actual roads, and they couldn't get any supplies. And so my grandfather, they would cut through all this awful stuff, and I can't remember how he lost his eye, but he lost his eye. And, um, yes, I do want to. But at any rate, my grandfather, what, what type of picture would he keep in his helmet? His wife. My, my grandmother, Juanita Cole. Juanita. <laughs> He, so now, now he he survived his. You know they didn't really have deployments then. You you signed up or you got drafted and you came home when it was over. And so when he when the war ended and he came home, what do, do you think he kept that picture on him and he looked at it all the time? No, because because his actual wife was with him. And so in the same way, for those of us that are married and and your parents, you know, and for those of your parents that are married. Um, we will eventually, when we reunite with Christ, we will leave that spouse behind because we're with the better thing. Does that make sense? Like, you don't just keep looking. He didn't keep looking at Juanita because she was right there. It was a better thing. So, why do you think... Well, actually, I'm going to skip this question. So, what do we, what do we need to take home from this? We, we know what the Bible says about this passage. We know what to do with it. So how do we take it home? And so I haven't answered these questions. All those other questions I pre-answered so I could teach you. But now I want to hear from you. So how does understanding the Holy Spirit's role in the Christian's life help you as you read the commands in this passage? Now, what's a command? An order what? Something you're told to do. And not only are you told to do, you're, ex- you're expected to do it. It's not just like, Emma, go do that. It's like, Emma, do that now. And so, how does the Holy Spirit's role in your life as a Christian help encourage you as you read the commands of this passage? What do you think? 
instead of, so he's not just giving us a set of rules and being like, Griffin, go do them. He's giving you the helper. He's saying, I'm, I'm actually going to help you. I'm going to show you what it means by, by the life of Jesus, and then I'm going to help you do it. And so is it in our own strength that we obey God? No, we don't. If you read any of the Old Testament, and I love the Old Testament, especially Exodus, do you think they succeed very often in their own strength? They like immediately fail every time, miserably, much like me. And so we need God's strength and we need the Holy Spirit in us to live the life that Macy was describing at the very beginning, which is what all this hinges upon. We need to live wisely, but we cannot do it if we just decide like one day I'm going to white knuckle it. No, God help me live wisely. Now you still have to be a good steward, right? Maddox still has to decide to do the right thing and, and, and be the right person that he wants to be, even though God will give Maddox the strength to do it. Does that make sense? Now, for those of you in here that are Christians, I would like to know how your relationship with Jesus has changed your relationships with other people. Like, for the better, for the worse. I get to come to you. Oh, well, we love you, Simon. So much. Like decision-making, like I think about like my relationship with you before I make decisions. Mm, so you're not just living for yourself anymore. You're thinking, like, what I do impacts how I live. Well, sometimes after I make the decisions too. But well, I mean, you're human. Yeah. I mean, if you were able to see the way that I make <laughs> decisions every time, it would be embarrassing. So what about you, David? What about you? I'll wait. How does... How does how is, has Jesus changed your relationship with others? Uh, I used to hang out with a lot of people that weren't really good people and uh, did some stupid stuff. But so you lose you lose taste for people that it's not that you all of a sudden you hate those people. You still know that they have dignity and have worth, but you lose interest in what they're doing, right? You you're less interested in well, all right, they're kind of behaving in a way that makes me uncomfortable probably because the Holy Spirit's convicting me that I don't need to be involved in that. So anyone else? Patience. Patience. Like, okay, so that's a wonderful idea. So those are actually, that's part of the fruits of the Spirit. Do we remember the fruits of the Spirit? So the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in me is that, yeah, I'm going to be more patient than I used to be because God has given it to me. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Yeah. Like if, if you... If you if you know that Christ has forgiven you, does anyone know what Philippians? Someone turn to Philippians two, which is the next book over. Philippians two five through eight. Yeah, y'all listen to this. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of the humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. So, if you want to know how to behave, look at our King Jesus, right? If you want to know about forgiveness, I mean, he... He humbled Himself to the point of death upon the cross. Romans tells us what? He died while we were still... Sinners. Yeah, He knew. 
He knew that we were sinners and still died for us. And He knew that you would sin and still died for you. And He knew me and all my foolishness and still died for me. And so this idea, Jesus will change the way we interact with people um, because there's just no way that it can't happen. Now, how does seeing Jesus as the perfect husband or the perfect father uh, or the perfect master change the way that you might view earthly marriages or earthly parents uh, parents or earthly authorities? How might that change the way you think about that? Yeah, not everyone has a good dad, right? Uh, there, there was a, um, a, a relationship. The, the girlfriend that I had in college, a long-term girlfriend that prepared me for marriage, like God used her, and, and I learned how to treat women well. She had a terrible dad, like a terrible dad. And every time Father's Day rolled around, it was really difficult. And so she clung to the idea that Jesus was the perfect father because she had a garbage dad. And, and some people, um, you know, I pray it's not true of any of our parents in here, but some people have bad spouses, bad husbands, bad wives. And so while um, Jesus is used in this reference to the husband, he's, Jesus is the perfect spouse. And then some of us, I mean, I'm very fortunate here, and I'm not just saying this because it's recorded, but Dr. Mike is probably one of the better bosses I've ever had. Best job I've ever had. Some people have really terrible bosses that make their lives, you know what, terrible. And so when we think about Jesus, that knowing our ultimate love, our ultimate care, and our ultimate leadership can only be found in Jesus, and that these earthly things are only reflections, that then we can respect them in the way that we can show them the gospel. And hopefully that they will, their lives will be changed um, because we have to have grace for them. Uh, that doesn't mean if you're being mistreated that you just stay there, right? If you're in a bad relationship, someone mistreats you, you don't just hang around because you have dignity too. But you show that person the gospel. Now, last question before we wrap it up. What would it look like for you as students to put Christ at the center of all your, all your relationships, your friends, your dating, your parents, your teachers, et cetera, et cetera? What would it look like? Think practically. Think about applying what you've just heard me talk about for the past 44 minutes. Wow, good job. Way to listen. Hmm. Yeah. Is first of all, before I even think about how I put it at the center of this relationship, is this something that can honor God at all? Should I take this job? Should I date this person? Should I marry this person? Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. With with teachers, I'm sorry, but in this unique time in your life, you get what you get. So you know that that's only for a little bit of a time. But you get to college. Should I take this class? Or should I take this one? You know, a great question is, will it honor God? What else? That's a good start. Say we're in these things that are God-honoring. What does it look like for me to put Christ at the center of that? To use him as an example, like the example that's said in the gospel and what Paul wrote on this. Yeah, he, he, Jesus is the perfect example. Don't use me as an example, okay? Like I'm not that great of an example for you. I hope to be a good example, but Jesus is the perfect example. 
I think with me, practically speaking, it would help me to treat everyone with respect, even if people I disagree with or people that get on my nerves or people that I don't want to talk to. Because believe it or not, I have those thoughts too. Now, thankfully, honestly, the Lord is my witness. None of that applies to you. But there are people sometimes at work or for whatever reason, like, oh, I don't want to talk to that person. And we've all been there. Oh, I don't want to see that person. Okay, so that's a, all right, fine. How can I still treat them with respect? How would Jesus treat that person? Think about all the interactions Jesus has in the gospel with people that, pe- with people that other people said he had no business interacting with. He gave them his utmost attention and utmost love and grace and respect. So the main takeaway that I want you to get tonight, Kate and others, is that the gospel changes everything about the life of the believer. No longer do we walk in this life as unwise people, but by being filled with the Holy Spirit, we have a new fellowship, a new identity, and transformed relationships.